This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 134 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. This week, we'll touch on the various bits of news that have come through Georgia State land in the past two weeks. And then we're excited to launch our new hashtag Future Belt interview series by talking to Aaron Coleman from the Running with the Herd podcast about the Marshall Thundering Herd. But first, a quick roundup and discussion of some of the hot topics about Georgia State athletics as we enter the month of June. On the football side of things, the first five game times and TV assignments of the 2022 season have been announced. The opener in Columbia against South Carolina on September 3rd will kick off at 7.30 p.m. Eastern and can be seen online or on the ESPN app on ESPN Plus and SEC Network Plus. Both the home opener against UNC on September 10th and the Thursday night showdown with Coastal Carolina to open conference play will air nationally on ESPNU, with the former being a noon kick and the game with the shots being at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. In between, the Panthers will host Charlotte for the second straight season, a game scheduled to start at 7 p.m., and that will air on ESPN+. And finally, rounding out the known game times, October will start for the Panthers with a noon kick at Army on the first of the month. That game airs on CBS Sports Network. So, gentlemen, thoughts about these uh, football schedule and game time announcements? Time to get CBS Sports Network in some fashion, I guess. (laughs) Um... So this is the thing where it's like the balance between like what is good for us as a media organization cover these games and me as a fan of the sport in general, because you get both of the worlds here because I personally love night football, but covering night football is entirely less fun because you're going to be very late leaving the stadium. Whereas noon kicks, I'm not a huge fan of, particularly as attending as I'm I, you know, not calling me a morning person would be charitable. But noon kicks are great for covering because you're done by like five, you know, five, five thirty at the latest. And so you get both of those in this opening slate and mostly night football, which I lean towards being a good thing. And, you know, the UNC game, it's at noon because TV said put it at noon. So there wasn't really much autonomy with that decision, I would guess. Yeah, I agree. I like night football, but I think the teams sometimes overdo night football. And I like that the balance that Georgia State has this year, you know, when they're playing during the week, obviously that has to be at night. And, you know, the coastal game was announced. They do actually have the App State kick because duh, it's during the week. We know what time that's going to be. Um, but you know, it's, it's definitely going to be a good balance with Georgia State playing later on in the day, you know, still kind of playing those, you know, noon kicks that you know you're accustomed to probably push them back to two like they always are and i know we complain about the kick we've complained about the georgia state kickoffs for however long but it's i like it when they add more night games only because it kind of balances the schedule out and i mean we haven't really talked about the football season overall and we'll definitely do more of that as we get closer to it actually happening but i don't think we've necessarily externalized just how much of a slog three games between September 10th and September 22nd is going to be. And, you know, I mean, for mostly the players, because that's a lot of football and we should make clear that they're the ones actually doing the hard, intensive physical activity. And so it's the the most burden on them. But I guess the one silver lining with it being a noon kick, aside from you're on national TV and, you know, they dictated that is that you have the most time where it's starting at the earliest possible time it could. Whereas instead of having to recover from a night game, 
I feel like that doesn't really matter, but I'm kind of going with it and wanting to mention just like, that's a lot of football in a short stretch of time. And it's important football too, because you've got the game against UNC at home that, you know, we don't know what UNC is going to be like or Georgia state early on in the year for that matter. But it's a game that would mean a lot if you could find a way to win. If the season isn't going great, the Charlotte game is going to be one you're going to be looking back on, making sure you wanted to win for bowl purposes. And it's a team you beat last year, so continuing that kind of, we're still on the same upward trajectory. And then the Coastal game is super important. You're doing it on five days rather than the regular week, and it's your Sunbelt opener. It's on national TV, and so like that stretch, we haven't necessarily said it on the pod, and so I'm saying it now, like that stretch is obviously just going to be a really, really pivotal. It's going to be kind of like the stretch in November this past year with the, the late October, early November, where you went Southern Louisiana and then coastal, like it's happening earlier in the year. And so if the team isn't where it was at the end of last year, and if it is where it was at the beginning of last year, that's probably trouble because they struggled out of the gate and the schedule and that slate of games in particular is not going to really give them the opportunity to struggle. They're going to have to hit the ground running this year. And it doesn't necessarily get easier after that. It's just a different type of difficult. You know, we always talk about the gauntlet that's going to be the Sunbelt East. You know, I mean, shoot, the whole Sunbelt as a whole is about to get better because, duh, there's still teams in the West that'll be, you know, intriguing. And while Georgia State, for the most part, avoids that, you know, you're still going to have to go through the Sunbelt after the army game you know like it's not going to be a cakewalk so if you don't bring it in those first few games when it's out of conference and then coastal it's you're looking at an uphill battle and like yes georgia state did exceptionally well last year at kind of weathering the storm after that app state game you know but like brady said they've got to hit the ground running this year because you can't just always assume that that's going to happen like last year you can't assume that okay after we come out you know what one and four or something like that that it's just going to be all right we're just going to rattle off a ton of wins and you know still end up being bowl eligible that's just that's not how you know quality sustainable teams you know operate and then just another note on the football schedule is this is not new based on the game times, but just something, again, I've just noticed that, you know, I, when they started the year with the Army last year, I feel like a lot has been made, you know, then like, oh, you have the whole summer to prep for, but I think it gets a little bit overplayed and I feel like it almost preys on your mind a little bit. And I don't think that the defense struggled last year so much as the offense didn't give the defense a chance against Army, but I feel like this is your happy medium because the Yes, you're going on five days when you're playing Coastal, but then you've got an extra two days rest before you play Army. And I feel like just a couple extra days to recover and then get ready for that. I feel like that is the nice middle ground of it's not like the first game where you have all that time where it's like all you're thinking about and all you're getting asked about. But it's also not just a regular week. Like the extra two days, I think, will come in handy for getting ready for, as we know, it's going to be just a tough, grinded out Army team. And this one's... You're playing them on the road for the first time, going up to Mikey Stadium. And so that definitely interested. I mean, by that point, we're going to have an idea of this Georgia State team in 2022. But I definitely am still interested to see where they are when they play Army, because it was a team that just was better than them when they played last year. And the team that Georgia State was able to slug it out against back when they played in 2019. And so interested to see, you know, even if we have a general idea of where the season is going by the time 
those teams play beginning of October, it'll still be another one of those games that'll tell you something about the nature of this 2022 Georgia State team. All right. And basketball schedule news. The date has officially been announced for the final game in the scheduled three-year series between Georgia State and Georgia Tech, the first of the games to be hosted by the Panthers. According to CBS Sports' John Rothstein, the teams will face off in the new GSU Convocation Center on November 12th, the same day as the football team's home conference game versus Louisiana Monroe. Gentlemen, thoughts on this basketball news? I don't even care necessarily what the date was. I just like to hear you say Georgia State New Convocation Center. It gets me very excited. I had an uh, ordinary thing to take it on uh, with regards to Mr. Rothstein, who's broken a fair amount of Georgia State news and obviously does his bestest and is like breaking random commitments at three o'clock in the morning. And like, I respect the grind. I do. The wording of it made it seem like it was a new series type thing. I think the last sentence of the tweet was like part of a multi-year series. And I think it was, obviously that's factually true. It is the third of three games, but the phrasing wasn't super. And it made it seem like it was going to be a new deal. And like, I wasn't like following hook, line, sinker. I was aware that this was going to be the final of this deal. And, you know, we'll, it will remain to be seen whether there's another game. But I just wanted to mention like, feel like you might have accidentally given people some false hope there, Johnny. You know, but as far as the game goes, it's, we don't know there's going to be the first, you know, there's going to be an exhibition still waiting to see how the schedule continues to get filled out. But right there early on the schedule, we've known when abouts it was going to be. And now we know the actual day, November 12. And it's the same day as the uh, Louisiana Monroe football game, which because athletics is in charge, I'm guessing it's going to be like a, two o'clock or a 12 o'clock first kick uh, kickoff in uh, the ULM game, allowing people to go over to a night game in the communication center. And I look forward to being the DW bags meme covering both those games in the same day. It's, it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot of fun, but it's also just going to be a lot. No, that's definitely going to be a lot of fun. We got to do a pod after both. <laughs> I, uh, I am uh, bracing myself already. <laughs> I, setting a coffee pot already to get an extra pot going for that day. Bring it with me to the, uh, the press box. I'm not sure that that's <laughs> going to be allowed. I'm not sure they're going to let me take in a coffee maker to the, uh, to the press area. Uh, probably a health hazard for it to fall off through the uh, open window. Probably there'd be some issues there, but uh, I, you know, jokes aside, like it is a nice opportunity to have just a full Georgia state day. And without, presuming anything about this football team or ULM's football team, because that's disrespectful. It's a team you've beaten the last couple years, still struggling. Feels like a pretty solid chance, especially compared to some of the other games where there's more uncertainty in the month of November to get a win. And I mean, they lost the game in overtime this past year in uh, McCamish Pavilion, but obviously won when they played there two years ago on the basketball court. So it feels like it could be one of those like perfect days, so to speak, where you get a good win against a team you need to beat in football and then win the series. I mean, I feel like we, you know, it just goes without saying really that winning this series 2-1, you know, making it 3-1 if you count the Hurricane Exhibition game that you know, doesn't count, but it still counts, just goes a lot to show where Georgia State as a program is. And, you know, I think everyone is excited about Jonas Hayes as the head basketball coach, and I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon, but it would be an immediate notch in his belt, 
in the first month of coaching games for Georgia State to get that win and to do it at home. I just feel like that day is setting up to be something that could be great. I mean, obviously you could lose either or both of them and it would be decidedly less great, but I, it's a good day possibility. You know, it could be one of those type of moments for Georgia State Athletics. And last but certainly not least, we have some baseball coaching news breaking today from Kendall Rogers at D1 Baseball. Panthers pitching coach and recruiting coordinator Matt Taylor is leaving his post to take a job as a minor league pitching coordinator with the Atlanta Braves organization. So uh, congratulations to Coach Taylor for that. Definitely a huge career move for him. He'll be missed by the Georgia State Panthers baseball organization. But gentlemen, I would be very interested to hear your thoughts about this. It's the, you know, the rare like double endorsement of two teams that I follow, you know, like I'm a fan of the Atlanta Braves. And so them hiring a person who coached Georgia State to pretty major, you know, I feel like the title minor league pitching coordinator is a little bit nebulous, but it's, I think it's what it sounds like. And I think it's going to be involved in the development of all the pitchers throughout the minor leagues. And, you know, it says that they saw a lot in what he was doing with developing the young arms he had at Georgia State these past couple of years. And so I think of, and not just because I'm a Braves homer, but like I think of the Braves as a pretty up on the you know modern day forward thinking organizations in baseball. A lot of people think that the GM, Alex Anthopoulos, myself included, is one of the top two or three GMs in the sport. And so if you're pitching coach and getting hired away by an organization led by a guy like that, and that has had, you know, recent world series success, it does speak a lot about what was going on there. And so that's my main takeaway is that it's a loss and you just trust coach Stromdahl is going to get someone else on to follow on and keep the train rolling. But it does speak to what's starting to build in Atlanta that they would want your pitching coach like that. Yeah, you know, I think you kind of spelled it out pretty accurately there. You know, we won't necessarily know about the implications of, uh, you know, losing Taylor, but where Georgia State needs to be and, you know, kind of seeing where Georgia State, the competition of the Sun Belt in terms of baseball, you know, and how that's increasing, it's not going to matter who the voice is. They just need to continue to find good voices and, you know, kind of get keep recruiting well and, continue to develop the program that they have here you know obviously wish coach taylor well you know that's not me saying anything and it's not even me reflecting on you know what happened this year but it's just you know it's gonna it's gonna be a situation like it is with football you know the better you do the you know your coaches are gonna get poached you know it's probably a little bit of a surprise if an nfl team called georgia state but you know it happens guys have relationships with people so you know it's not necessarily a surprise here that coach taylor's gonna go coach for the braves so you know happy for him good good luck to him and you know i didn't really have any starting discussion point with this but i just wanted to talk more about college baseball i mean i spent a lot of time last week watching all of the regional action for anyone out there uh interested in college baseball, highly recommend the ESPN squeeze play program on uh, ESPN plus where it's just a whip around. It's kind of like NFL red zone, but for college baseball, fascinating, fascinating stuff. And there was a lot of bum belt and future belt heat going on because, you know, you had Georgia Southern hosted a regional, they lost, they did not advance out of their hosting regional, but it was the first time they hosted a regional. One of the top 16 seeds you had, Texas State taking one of the all-time beats that I've seen where they were up 3-1 to 
in the regional final against the number two seed Stanford, gave up back-to-back solo shots to lead off the bottom of the ninth, got walked off, and so came just so agonizingly close to hosting their own super regional against UConn. And then you had Southern Miss, who actually did win their regional in Hattiesburg, beat LSU, came back, beat them twice in the regional final after losing to them earlier in the regional. And they are hosting in-state rival Ole Miss in a super regional that is bound to just be absolutely crazy in the state of Mississippi this coming week. And it just kind of got me thinking about Georgia State and just this baseball as the sport to kind of buy into. and. You know, I kind of spell it out with all the success that I just laid out and possible success that teams in the Sun Belt have. But I feel like baseball is an opportunity for Georgia State because while getting to the point where you're competing in super regionals is, you know, it's not as easy to just like, I'm not saying it's easier in baseball to do this because it's incredibly hard to build programs to that level. And it's a, you know, a testament to the job that the manager Southern Miss has done to build up that program and those other schools as well. But it's an opportunity because, you know, Southern Miss and Georgia Southern were top 16 teams as adjudicated by the committee who seeded the tournament. And, you know, in the other sports, like in football and basketball, even if you've got two teams that are in the top 16, they're not actually playing in the thing that decides the championship. They're getting left out. They're going to New Year six at the top. And Cincinnati just broke through in the CFP this past year. In basketball, yeah, you get in, there's 64 seeds, but the seeding still hasn't really worked out in a way that's balanced out to where if you're a good mid-major team, I mean, I don't know where a fair seed for Murray State this past year was, but they lost two games and they were a seven seed. And so it feels like there's still a hill to climb there. And in baseball, like you can get there. You can get there to where you're hosting a regional. And then if you take advantage of what Southern Miss was able to do and win some tough games you host a super regional and you can find your way to omaha and it could be the second straight time you've got a school joining the sun belt having just won the baseball national championship like coastal did right before they joined the sun belt and so doesn't really have anything else to say on it just to mention just the potential there is for baseball i think we should look at what other programs have done in the sun belt and as the facilities continue to build out for baseball and maybe give them a chance to build that type of pro it's definitely something to make sure you're keeping an eye on and investing in because that's where your opportunity is like right now like i don't think that any kind of you know any type of college world series championship is likely anytime soon for georgia state but if you had to tell me right now like georgia state is going to win a national title in the next like 75 years what sport what major sport is going to be and i'd probably say baseball just because of the odds of it all and so if georgia state can keep building you know, it's something that at some point down the line, if Coach Stromdahl continues to build what he's building or the guy after him and they continue to add their respectability back, like that's what I think the opportunity is. Yeah, you know, that makes sense to me. The path is absolutely there. You know, you could definitely see it. So I want to reemphasize again and again, like I am not projecting this as an immediate thing. Like I'm not saying it's a thing that is five years down the line, 10 years down the line, easy peasy. Like obviously the, you know, the step two that I'm leaving out is very, very involved. And, you know, it it takes a lot of work to get that point. But I just think that it's, you know, it's achievable in the realm of, 
Yeah, it's it's more achievable than going like Georgia State is going to get the national championship in football at any point soon. Like it is more something in the realm of possibility. It's still maybe the dumb and dumber meme right now. So you're saying there's a chance, like it's still pretty off as far as anytime soon, but it's why I think baseball could be a fun jumping off point for Georgia state as they continue to get back to that level. We're not here to put down the 2025 NCAA national champion, Georgia state How could I forget? team. How? I walked right into that one. You did. How did you forget? That's all we've got this week for Georgia State Happenings, but we did get the chance to sit down with Aaron Coleman from the Running with the Herd podcast to talk about the Marshall Thundering Herd, and we'll play that interview for you right now. We're now less than a month from the official expansion of the Sun Belt, with the pending additions of James Madison from the FCS ranks and Marshall Old Dominion and Southern Miss from Conference USA on July 1st. So we thought there was no better time than now to speak to people in the know about each of the new programs to get a better understanding of our new conference mates. First up in our hashtag future belt series, we're joined by Aaron Coleman from the running with the herd podcast to learn all there is to know about Marshall. Aaron, welcome to the Thursday night podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Great to have a Marshall perspective on things. And I guess the best place to start is your perspective on Marshall things and how you kind of got yourself introduced to the program and how you've started this uh, running with the herd pod that you are doing. Well, I started out just, you know, as a lot of you guys did, just as a fan. I had been following the herd since the Randy Moss days, Chad Pennington, Byron Leftwich, all of those guys. Um, and I was at the game when Byron got carried down the field by his lineman at the University of Akron. I'm actually from Akron, Ohio. And that was kind of my intro to it. And before we got started, I told you guys a little bit about my background in radio and uh, broadcasting. I majored in radio and TV and media production in college, and I decided to get into professional radio for about 11 years. And I've always been interested in podcasting and college football. And in 2018, when some of the traditional media was kind of going by the wayside. I decided to start my own blog slash podcast. And in 2019, I joined up with the Rivals Network. A lot of you are familiar with that. And I decided to create my own podcast, the Running with the Herd podcast. And it's really been a labor of love for me. And it's something that I really enjoy. And it's just something special that you know i'll always remember so yeah i definitely we understand the labor of love part of that truly and truly it's definitely not the only thing we're doing it's not anything that any of us are doing full-time as our paid jobs but we love it all the same and what we're able to provide from the georgia state perspective uh you know following on from that obviously marshall has announced this move to the sunbelt and i guess the first question to go with is you know, what's the feeling about the move now that it's basically here and why ultimately was now the time that the Thundering Herd decided to mosey on down to the Sun Belt? There's a lot of excitement surrounding the move to the Sun Belt from um, not only the university, but the community of Huntington, uh, everyone in the tri-state area in regards to this move to the Sun Belt. And if you guys are familiar with Conference USA and 
everything that was going on there in terms of not only its lack of conduciveness as far as travel for not just the football team, but for all teams and just the lack of leadership from those at the top. It was the right move at the right time. When Texas and Oklahoma decided to go down to the SEC, there was a big trickle-down effect, not just with the Power 5 teams, but also the group of five teams. And it's a great geographical fit when you're talking about the Eastern Division. I mean, obviously, you have two teams in Georgia. You have a couple of teams in Virginia, obviously Marshall and West Virginia. It's conducive not only for um, travel for the teams in the athletic department, but also fans, media, and pretty much anyone who wants to enjoy a Sun Belt game. You have a lot of smaller schools that really care and are really passionate about football, and it couldn't be a better fit. And I know that everyone in administration at Marshall University is very excited about it. Hey, Aaron, David here. Um, I wanted to ask you a question about that fit specifically because, you know, obviously Marshall has had a pretty good run of success in Conference USA of late. Um, and, you know, I I definitely remember there were a couple of showcase games on at least ESPN uh, versus like App State, for example. Um, you know, what is the perception with Marshall kind of going away from their like typical rivals that they've had and you know do the fans necessarily have a rivalry that they've picked out for the sun belt that you think or you know kind of what direction do you feel is best for the university in that respect i think david that the rivalries that they had from their days in the southern conference when everyone was in the one double a which is the fcs now um, App State is one of uh, Marshall's biggest uh, rivalries from uh, those uh, time periods. When you think about the COVID-shortened season of 2020, Marshall knocked off App State from the ranks of the top 25 and became ranked themselves. And last year, it came down to a one-point game. So obviously, Marshall fans and Supporters have kind of picked out App State as that rivalry because of not only our time in the Southern Conference, but also the two most recent games. Now, when you talk about some of these other programs that are coming in, like Old Dominion, obviously Old Dominion is not very far from Huntington, and I know that we recruit against them for players and such, so I know that that's probably going to be a little bit of a rivalry as well. Maybe not so much on the football field, but across all sports, because obviously they have a good basketball program and some other programs. But I would say if you're going to look at any two teams or programs that would be considered rivals, I would probably say those two teams and programs. But a third would probably have to be Southern Miss from our days in Conference USA and some of the battles that Marshall had against them. So I would probably pinpoint Old Dominion and App State as the two principal rivals, but Southern Miss is more of like a secondary rival. 
And of course, the Sunbelt move isn't the only major change recently for the Marshall Athletics, the new president and athletic director within the last 12 months. And I guess the clue might be in the fact that Marshall's moving to the Sunbelt and that this is part of the change that they were bringing. But I guess just in general with athletics, what do you think those changes are going to represent as far as where they're looking to take Marshall under their watch? I think that they're going to improve things from an athletic standpoint as much as they can. I mean, obviously, Christian Spears came from the University of Pittsburgh, where obviously there have been um, a great deal of tradition and success with that program. And obviously, uh, Pitt's one of the more known college athletics programs in America. And he's coming to a place where they do have tradition. They do have a passionate fan base. And he's just looking to put his own stamp on things. I mean, they're installing new turf at the John C. Edwards Stadium. And I remember uh, Christian Spears actually took to social media and asked the fans, what design do you want to see with our new turf? Obviously, we're going to put the Sun Belt logo on uh, either side of the field. But at the same time, I mean, Trying to be transparent and trying to get the fans' input is really something that I'm not going to say the previous administration didn't do that. I just think that he's going to put more of an emphasis on it moving forward. And I guess moving on to just the more specific stuff with the sports we all talk about on our respective podcasts, um, I guess just the the big view of where the major sports are at, I guess starting with football is still king in, in the South. I don't know that it's ever going to change. So if it makes sense to start there, just where Marshall's football program is heading into their first year in the Sun Belt in 2022. I think they're going to compete. I don't know necessarily if they're going to contend right away for a conference championship or anything, but I do know that they're going to compete because they have talent on both sides of the ball. They have Sheen Ali, uh, nation's leader in touchdowns a season ago. They have a very stout defense. Uh, front seven's probably the best in the Sun Belt. And they do have a lot of quality players returning. Now, the only two big questions, in my opinion, lie with the offensive line, which replaced three five-year starters. Yeah, you heard that right. Three five-year starters. Guys that have spent time in NFL training camps um, during this summer so far and uh, guys who have played a lot of ball for Marshall. So, therefore, you're going to have a little bit of a learning curve with some new offensive linemen. And, of course, the most important position, quarterback, when you replace a two-year starter in Grant Wells, who's off to Virginia Tech right now, and you're bringing in Henry Columbia III, the perspective starter for the, uh, Marshall. And yes, he's got some starting experience during his time at Texas Tech and Utah State. But when you factor in new offensive linemen, a quarterback coming in new, learning a new system, there's going to be somewhat of a learning curve that's going to be going on. And do I think that they're going to be at the bottom of the conference? Absolutely not. But do I think that they're going to compete and be a tough out for everybody in the Sun Belt? Yes, I do. I wanted to kind of peel back a little bit just for a moment. Um, you know, my question is kind of twofold. 
obviously after you know the 2020 season and all the craziness uh it came out that doc holiday wasn't going to be extended and i wanted to ask you know what your thoughts were you know about that coaching change and then i also wanted to ask you know what are your thoughts about the second year going into the second year of the charles huff era you know you just mentioned that you don't think that marshall is going to be at the bottom you know that's fair you know you also mentioned that you think they're going to be competitive and you know I, I wanted to also get your thoughts on, you know, what are you seeing out of Huff that kind of allows you to be there, if that makes sense? Okay, yeah, I mean, absolutely. When you took, well, you think about the Doc Holiday era, he was there for 11 years. He won one conference championship in 2014 with Rakeem Cato and company. And I just think that at that particular time, it was just time for a new voice in the locker room. It was just time for a change. Um, the fan base had grown a little bit restless with the fact that they had one conference championship since from 2005 all the way through uh, 2020. So I know that uh, the fan base was looking for some new blood in there. And in comes Charles Huff, obviously coached under one of the greatest college football coaches, if not the greatest college football coach of all time, and Nick Saban. And he's brought a enthusiasm and he's brought a attack style to Marshall in terms of defense, uh, special teams. You know, he gets fired up, you know, when they blocked a punt against Navy the first game of the 2021 season. You could, you could feel his energy. He kind of exudes that confidence and that energy that you need from your head coach. I think that the thing that's going to propel Marshall to success in the Sun Belt in year one of the Sun Belt, year two of the Huff era, is a little bit more finishing, closing out games, and playing better situational football. If you look at some of the losses that Marshall had, they were only by a point, seven points, etc., because they didn't play the best in certain situations and they didn't finish. And the big mantra that he's had during spring ball, during these uh, summer workouts that they're actually starting right now is finish. And that's the big thing that they need to do. Yeah. You won't, uh, we we have definitely similar stories about coaches that bring energy. Just do a Twitter search of Sean Elliott. You'll see all the old clips of him running up and down during the warm-up lines, headbutting guys. It's, uh-huh. When he was an offensive line coach at a South Carolina, he would do like headbutting. I think he got bloody one time because he was doing hyping up guys and just headbutting a guy who was wearing a helmet and he wasn't. Uh, so that's <laughs> I remember Sean Elliott that. to a T. <laughs> I do remember uh, so that, yeah. Definitely understand that. Um, I guess – your thoughts is Marshall fitting in, you know, the Sunbelt East, which it sounds like even with the no longer requirement to have divisions, it's for now the Sunbelt is keeping the divisions. And in the Sunbelt East, as we know, from, you know, from Georgia State's point of view going into this season is just going to be a bear. There's so many good yep. programs. Only one team of the current new Sunbelt East did not go to a bowl last year. And we were okay with that because it was rival Georgia Southern, but they got a new coach, so they might be better. And so a situation where everyone feels like they want to take the next step and just the way the schedule works out, that's not going to be how it works out. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when you think about a lot of 
the uh, Sun Belt in 2021. They're shaping up. Commissioner Keith Gill talked about we want to make this the premier group of five conference in all of college football. And I think they're off to a pretty solid start. When you're talking about App State, who's probably the class of the Sun Belt in terms of their pedigree, the championships that they've won, and the kind of program that they have. And then you take a look at um, teams like Coastal Carolina, who's been solid for the last couple of years. They're no one-hit wonder. And uh, obviously your uh, Georgia State Panthers, who you know have uh, transitioned into uh, being one of the more competitive Sun Belt teams and a team that prides itself on physicality and that kind of thing. Old Dominion, you know, they've had their struggles as of late, but I think they'll be competitive basically because of their recruiting area. Obviously, I mentioned Marshall. And Georgia Southern's going to have a little bit of a curve because they're coming from the option, which they ran for probably 40 years, the more of a traditional style offense under Clay Helton. So there's going to be some struggles there. And then you have the newcomer to the FBS and James Madison, who has a passionate fan base. I was reading an article in The Athletic from Chris Vanini, one of the premier group of five writers that there is, and he kind of talked about how James Madison could be in the ACC in about 10 to 15 years. You never know. Because you talk about a team and a program and a university that's committed to winning, that's committed to their athletics program, especially their football program. And they've had some success at the FCS level, and it might not translate in year one to the Sun Belt, but when they start recruiting Division One players to James Madison, look out. Yeah, they're definitely the wild card for me as far as, you know, if they hit like some of the other teams like App State and Georgia Southern did when they made the transition, it's going to ruin a lot of plans for some other teams. But it's also possible that they struggle and then other teams are able to get some wins against them and move them down the standing. So they are definitely, for me, the one that's like, there's so much variability and I really don't have any idea what to expect. And State doesn't play them until November. And so my one thing is like, by the time they're on the schedule, I think we'll know who James Madison is. And so I, I don't have to think too much about it at this point. <laughs> right, right. I mean, obviously they are coming up to the big boys, and I know that there's going to be some bumps in the road early on, but we play them in the later part of the season as well. So we'll definitely know who they are by the time that game rolls around. And then switching gears to basketball, I mean, I remember when we were talking about these moves happening, like the number one thing I would highlight about Marshall is like they've got football, traditional, but they're also like they won a game in the tournament in basketball a couple years ago. And then it was followed by what seemed like probably a pretty frustrating year for Marshall basketball fans. Um, I guess is hope still high that this past year was a blip and things will be on the up and up again and I guess with the men's basketball team? I think that there's a growing frustration amongst the fan base. I mean, obviously, they won a game in the tournament against Wichita State in 2018. They won the CIT tournament in 2019. Obviously, 2020, there was no tournament. And it seems like right now they're trying to kind of recapture 
a little bit of that momentum. And I think that they could possibly recapture it because uh, Coach D'Antoni's made some uh, changes a little bit to um, the lineup. He's kind of um, brought in, he brought in VMI transfer Camden Kerfman, who they say could shoot the ball very well, kind of like how John Elmore was the catalyst for the Marshall Thundering Herd basketball team in 2018. So I think that there's going to be some growing pains there with kind of mixing and matching uh, some of the new faces with a couple of the veterans that have been there. But I think that overall, um, going to have a bounce back year and won't be as painful as it was to watch last year. I'll say that. What kind of endeared, you know, either yourself or like the fan base to, you know, this basketball team, besides obviously the upset that Marshall had over Wichita State, you know, like obviously Georgia State, you know, they, you know, the famous RJ shot is, you know, kind of something that they have kind of clung to, you know, Georgia State fans. But, you know, I feel like there's also been, you know, a good run of success recently with the team. So, you know, kind of what's comparable in that Marshall, you know, realm of watching basketball. I think when you had that 2018 run, the starting backcourt for Marshall is playing overseas right now. I mean, obviously, John Elmore, C.J. Burks, two very good basketball players. Fast forward to a couple of years, I mean, you have Tavion Kinsey, who's one of the more exciting mid-major players in all of college basketball. And, you know, it's just something when you have a West, a native West Virginian like in Dan D'Antoni and some of the players that he has on the team are from the Mountain State. So, it's kind of like a homegrown thing of like, you know, this is what we could do with just us. So that's kind of something that's kind of endeared the fan base to him. And it's just something that a lot of people could get behind. And just kind of rounding out our look at the state of Marshall, what are some of the other sports? I know there's a big one that I'm going to let you take the lead on because I, I happen to know, you know, when you have a national championship in something recently, you're probably. Yeah, that soccer. <laughs> some and of the other soccer. sports. Marshall is known for Ben soccer, obviously with the uh, national championship in 2020. That's a big one. Uh, baseball has always been solid. They put a couple of uh, young men in the majors and um, it's one of the uh, baseball programs that people, people really uh, get behind it down in Huntington and, uh, the women's volleyball team is pretty solid, too. I mean, you know, obviously they've won a lot of games over the past few years and pretty well-rounded athletics program, and I think they will fit very, very well in the Sun Belt. Yeah, I mean, men's soccer is the one that stands out also because it felt like that was the one that Marshall really needed assurances that the Sun Belt was going to bring it back. And now, I mean, you look at the new makeup of the Sun Belt, that has restarted men's soccer and the teams that they got, some of the affiliates that they got at Kentucky, South Carolina, and Georgia State made the tournament this last year in men's soccer as well, so no slouch. I mean, one of the premier overall leagues in men's soccer in NCAA soccer. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Coach Chris Grassi, uh obviously that was a big sticking point for him and the new administration, President Brad Smith, and AD Christian Spears to – get Sunbelt 
soccer. And, you know, obviously, you know, coming off of a national championship two years ago, that was something that was very key to uh, Marshall deciding to make the move. And now that the move is basically official, I mean, obviously, um, Marshall's going to look to continue that momentum in soccer, and they're going to continue to do what they do best. The last thing I like to end on, mostly food stuff, but just in general stuff about the school as well, just kind of for anyone down the line with Georgia State, uh, any of our listeners going to maybe make the trip to Huntington at one point for a football game or whatever, just the the must-sees while you're up in the area and obviously the must-eats, any place you got to go to. Sounds good. All right. Um, Place you got to eat, Fat Patties or the Marshall Hall of Fame Cafe. Two uh, quality places to eat. I'm sold on the names alone. Yeah. Anything with fat in the name, you've already got me. All right. So those are two quality places to uh, go grab a bite to eat. And, uh, you know, if you want to do something, you know, with a family or whatnot, you could always go to Ritter Park. And uh, they got some great views there. If you want to take a look at uh, something of historical significance, it obviously was a sad thing. But at the same time, it was a symbol of, you know, the teams and the university and the town's perseverance. If you go on the campus and you see the Memorial Fountain, which is turned off every November 14th, because November 14th, 1970 was the day of the plane crash. I mean, it's something that, you know, is near and dear to the hearts of all that attended the university, everyone in town. And if you get a chance to walk the campus, you probably should get a chance to take a look at the Memorial Fountain. Well, Aaron, thanks so much for helping us start off our hashtag Future Belt series, giving us the lowdown on the Marshall Thundering Herd. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Aaron. Take care. Take care. So once again, a big thanks to Aaron Coleman from the Running with the Herd podcast for coming on and talking about the Marshall Thundering Herd with us. We've got more from the other Future Belt teams coming very soon. So keep it locked to our website and our Twitter for everything Thursday Night Podcast. And we will see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.